Exodus chapter 16. I'd like to open up by reading verses 1 through 5. Exodus 16, 1 through 5. It says this, The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. In the last lesson that I taught, we covered the when of this account. And we're standing here, not in the present, but in this text, we're standing in the 15th day of the second month, right around the time of the full moon. And we also covered the grumbling of the Israelites. Israel began to murmur and complain because they were hungry. And they went so far as to say that they would have rather died in Egypt than to be brought out into the wilderness to starve. How quickly they forgot the mighty one, the mighty hand of Yahweh, and how quickly we forget the mighty one, the mighty hand of Yahweh too. Well, that was the last lesson in a nutshell. You can listen to that lesson on the website. Today we see that Yahweh decides to feed them, but in the process he plans on testing them. And I believe that he's desiring to teach them a lesson in all this, like a good father who loves his children. Let's always remember that Yahweh is a loving father to his children. He never does anything to his children that is without good purpose. We might think that he should do things to us or for us in other ways, but we would be wrong. His ways are always the best ways. And his tests are always the best tests. So let's look at verse 4 again. Exodus 16, verse 4. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. I want to think about this for a moment. There's a lot more in this verse than we see on the surface And we'll probably only get into just this one verse today. Number one in verse four, Yahweh said to Moses, don't glance over that. Yahweh and Moses had a direct communication relationship. And it was unique. It was a unique relationship that not everyone had. Yahweh did not speak to everyone in Israel like he spoke to Moses. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus 33. Same book, another chapter later in the book. Exodus 33, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. Listen to this carefully. It says, Now Moses took a tent and set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult Yahweh would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, 
all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and Yahweh would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up and then bow in worship, each one at the door of his tent. Yahweh spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. All of the Israelites did not share in this privilege that Moses was given. Moses was special. He was unique. He was chosen by Yahweh, foreordained by Yahweh, to be the deliverer of ancient Israel out of the land of bondage. And Yahweh also chose to speak to Moses directly, like a man talks with his friend. Be cautious of people who claim to speak with Yahweh like this. I remember my dad telling me this when I was a teenager. He said this. It's always stuck with me. Son, if someone tells you that the Lord spoke to them, be on your guard. Now, he did not say that because it was something impossible. My dad believed that the Lord could speak to a person directly, as do I today. It's not impossible, but he said it because it was something rare. It wasn't common. It wasn't ordinary. Yet I've met people today who act like Yahweh tells them something every day and sometimes three times a day. He tells them everything, it seems like. He tells them what restaurant not to walk into, what shoestring to tie first, and what road to drive their car on, and when to leave their home. And if I sound like I'm being sarcastic, it's because I am being sarcastic. Yahweh doesn't deal with people like that. You know, thoughts may occur to us and we might receive insight or further understanding from the Word. While those are all induced by Yahweh, none of them are Yahweh speaking to us directly like He did to Moses and other select men in the Bible. Now, if Yahweh desires to speak to me or anyone else directly today, He has the right and He has the ability to do that. But I don't believe that he uses that method today like he did in days of old. And there's a reason for that. In times past, like in the days of Moses, Yahweh was handing his message down from heaven orally by word. And he would hand it down to select men who would then write down the message that Yahweh told them directly. See, through the book of Exodus, we see where parts of Yahweh's message were written down. The Ten Commandments were written in stone. Moses was instructed to write down many other laws that Yahweh gave him in a book. Once oral revelation from heaven is written down, there is no need for Yahweh to speak in the same way that he initially spoke to the man Moses. Sure, Yahweh can 
He has the ability to speak directly to a person today if he so chooses, but the rarity is greater today because his written revelation now abides with us. We have his words right here in this book, and he speaks to you when you read it. And as I like to say, if you want him to speak to you with an audible voice, then when you read the Bible, you can read it out loud, and he can speak to you in an audible voice. See, once the book is complete, you're not going to have Yahweh come and give additional revelation to a completeness. Once the foundation is laid, He's not going to come along and lay more foundation. Ephesians 2, 19-20 says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the Almighty's household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with the Messiah Yeshua himself as the cornerstone. See, we're the household of Yahweh. We're living stones. We breathe, we inhale, and we exhale. And we're built as that household on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They've come and they have gone. But we still have them today. We've got prophets, Prophet Moses, Prophet Isaiah, Apostle Peter, Apostle John. We're built on their foundation. It's been laid. We cannot relay it. And the same goes for Yeshua. He's the Messiah and He's the cornerstone. There's never going to be another cornerstone. He's already been laid. When Exodus 16 and 4 begins by saying that Yahweh said to Moses, we should not just glance over that like it's something common. But I think that we do. I think that I do when I read that. You glance and you just keep reading. But Yahweh was speaking to Moses face to face in this sense directly. Just like I am speaking to you right now and you hear me. That's how Yahweh spoke to Moses when he went into that tent that was far outside the camp. That special. Don't glance over it. Meditate on that. Let's read Exodus 16, verse 4 again. And Yahweh said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So Yahweh is going to answer the grumblings of the Israelites, and he's going to do it not by bringing them to a fruit tree, not by having them plant seed and later receive a crop, not by having them kill some wild game, but rather he's going to do it by raining down bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. Do you catch that? Raining down bread from heaven, from the sky, that's pretty neat, I would say. That's heavenly food. Psalm 78, 23 through 25 says this. Listen to this. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. That's the psalmist recounting Exodus 16. And I guarantee you one thing about that bread. That bread was not GMO bread. That was pure bread. As we read in Psalm 78, this bread is called the bread of angels. And when I read that, what it speaks to me, what it says to me, and what I think it means in its original context, is that this is the bread that angels eat. We shouldn't find that very peculiar because even Yeshua, after he resurrected to his immortality, he still ate 
had things like fish out there on the seashore. People, the Israelites, ate the bread of angels, angelic beings like Michael and Gabriel. Bread from heaven. Yahweh supplies the needs of His children. It's crazy for us to think otherwise. Even though I doubt Him sometimes, it's crazy for me to think that He will not supply the needs of me and my family. Sometimes He supplies through natural means, like giving me the ability with two arms and two legs to go out and work and make money to feed my family. Sometimes that's how He supplies my needs. Other times, like here in Exodus 16, He does this through supernatural means by making angel food cakes fall, non-GMO food cakes, fall from the sky. And there was a purpose in this. And the immediate purpose is written right here in verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. He says to Moses that the people are to go out each day and gather enough bread for that day. Yahweh will test the Israelites with the bread in this way to see if they will follow what he instructs them on. So the bread will be used for a test. As we will see later on in the chapter, in a later sermon, it will be used to test them in regards to honoring the Sabbath day. And we'll delve more into that in a later sermon. For now, I want to look at another reason behind the bread. Another test behind the bread. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. We're going to go through 3. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 through 3. You must carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land Yahweh swore to your fathers. Remember that Yahweh your mighty one led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. And verse 3 is very pertinent to the sermon today. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Amen. Yahweh humbles the Israelites by letting them go hungry. That's humiliating puts you in a tight spot. And then he gives them manna, which we'll get into that word in a later message, but that's what the bread from heaven is later called, manna. He gave them manna, and Deuteronomy 8.3 says that neither they nor their fathers knew about. That's because it was heavenly bread. It was something he rained from heaven. And he did this in order to teach them, catch this, he did this in order to teach them to depend upon and to rely on Yahweh. They're not planting anything. It's coming down from heaven. Rely on me, Yahweh's teaching them. I can supply your needs. I can make everything possible. Don't worry, I've got this all under control. And they would learn through this bread that man lives by every word that comes out of Yahweh's mouth. What does that mean in context of Deuteronomy 8 verse 3? Well, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't eat at all. That's not the immediate context. Listen carefully. They would eat something, 
But that something would be directly supplied from heaven by Yahweh. No agency there. Yahweh would directly rain that bread down from heaven to the Israelites each day. And this would show them that they lived not by natural means, but also by spiritual or supernatural means. The food they were eating came to them by Yahweh's word from His mouth in speaking to Moses. And I hope that you see that. See, Yahweh allows us to go through hard times in order to teach us to rely on Him. The Israelites didn't understand it in Exodus 16, but Deuteronomy 8 clarifies that Yahweh is doing this to humble them and to teach them something, something very important. He humbles all of us so that we might learn that we don't live by natural means only. That's what it means when it says man does not live by bread alone. It's saying this, man does not live by his own strength, but rather by the strength, power, and might of Yahweh. That's what that text means. And this is what Yahweh was teaching Israel. While we're here in Deuteronomy 8, look at verses 4 through 5. Verse 4, it says, Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. What that means is that they didn't have to worry about JCPenney or Sears or going to buy a new set of clothing or in that time sewing something new because their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years and their feet didn't swell. They kept the same shoes or sandals for 40 years. Yahweh was supplying what they needed. Verse 5, Keep in mind that Yahweh your Mighty One has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. When one of Yahweh's sons or daughters or children gets off the beaten path, he corrects them. He never lets his sons or daughters roam free from him and wild to sin. He will keep on disciplining his children because he's a loving father to his children. And he will discipline them right back into his loving arms. He disciplines us because he loves us, not because he hates us. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this, Do not despise Yahweh's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For Yahweh disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 11 say this, Endure suffering as discipline. The Almighty is dealing with you as children or sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Anybody been through some painful discipline? Anybody else had to endure suffering? I raised both hands on that. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'll never forget being in high school running suicides for the basketball team, Sister Dorothy. If you don't know what that is, you'd start at the end of the court and you'd go and you'd touch the first line on the court and you'd run back. Then you'd go and touch the second line on the court and you'd run back. Then the third line on the court and you'd run back. Then the three-point line and you'd run back. Then the half-court line and you'd run back. And then you'd do it on the other side and you'd keep doing it and you would do it and the coach would be hollering at you. 
because it was training. And it wasn't pleasant. It was painful when we were doing it. But when the game would come, our stamina would be built up and we'd be able to run around the court for 32 minutes straight. Sometimes we would never get taken out. No training is pleasant. But later on, it yields peace and righteousness, the fruit of that, for those who have been trained by it. See, in raining down that bread from heaven, Yahweh was teaching the Israelites this. I am your Father. I love you. And I want you to know that you can trust in me and I'll provide what you need. And I will provide it from you directly from heaven. You know, this isn't the only bread from heaven mentioned in Scripture. Let's turn to one more text in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Beginning at verse 31. This is the Master and Savior speaking. He says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now this is Yeshua talking here. What scripture is He referring to? Exodus 16, or what we call Exodus 16. is referring to the book of Shemot, or the book of Exodus. And He speaks to the people here, and He says, Our fathers ate the bread from heaven in the wilderness. He goes on to say in verses 32 through 33, Yeshua said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of the Almighty is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. When Yeshua says that Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven, I believe what Yeshua is saying is this. The bread the Israelites received by Yahweh, from Yahweh in the wilderness, though it was through the mediation of Moses from Yahweh, that was only a foreshadowing of the real bread from heaven. Yeshua is the more important bread from heaven. The manna was very important to the Israelites then. And Yeshua is greater and more important to all Israelites now. Yeshua then says that the bread of Yahweh is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The parallel or the type and the shadow is astounding. Think about this. The bread that fell from heaven in Exodus 16 taught the Israelites to rely on Yahweh for their life, for their sustenance. The reality of the shadowy bread, which Yeshua is that reality, also falls down from heaven and teaches us to rely on Yahweh for eternal life. Just like they needed to learn to live by the word of Yahweh and not natural means, Yeshua is saying in John 6 that life comes by Him and we cannot get life on our own. He's the bread of Yahweh and we are to rely on what Yahweh sends for eternal life. That's the parallel, type and shadow versus reality. Now what does he mean when he says that the bread of Yahweh in verse 33, for the bread of Yahweh is the one who comes down from heaven. What does that mean? Look at the shadow. The bread in Exodus 16 was supplied by Yahweh supernaturally. Man did not make that bread. 
No man sowed the wheat grains. No man harvested the wheat. No man ground the wheat to flour. No man baked it then in a clay oven. The bread in Exodus 16 came directly from Yahweh by His power and His power alone. Now, can anyone think of how Yeshua, the Messiah, parallels this when He calls Himself the bread of Yahweh that comes down from heaven and gives life? Well, I sure can. And the answer is the virgin conception and birth of the Messiah. It parallels the bread in Exodus 16 perfectly. Just as the manna came by supernatural means, so Yeshua came by supernatural means, conceived or caused to come into existence by the power of the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. He's the bread of Yahweh coming down from heaven, not by natural means, but by supernatural means. That's powerful, saints. That's powerful. So what was the response of the people to Yeshua? Look at this in verses 34 through 35 of John 6. They said, Sir, give us this bread always. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life, Yeshua told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. and No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So they say, give us the bread. And he says, you're looking at the bread. I am the bread of life. And he says, this is how you eat me. The one who comes to me will never be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And that, in John 6, if you continue to read, that is what Yeshua means when He says you must eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. He's not talking about transubstantiation there of the Lord's Supper. He's talking about coming to Him and never being hungry, believing on Him and never being thirsty. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's the only way that you'll have life. It's through me, the bread of Yahweh that came down from heaven by supernatural means. So we must come to Yeshua, to His feet, humbly. And we must believe upon Him as the Messiah, as the Son of Yahweh, as the bread of heaven, as the bread of Yahweh. And that is the only way that anyone will receive eternal life. Any other way is, is thieves and robbers. Any other way. It's like trying to break into a window when He says, I am the door. You can't get into the house any other way but through the Son, through Yeshua. You come to Him and you believe on Him. See, Yahweh has supplied the bread of heaven, Yeshua the Messiah, just like He supplied the Israelites in Exodus 16, the bread of heaven or the manna. We live by Yahweh, meaning that we live by the supernatural means that Yahweh provides then and now. And if we want to have life and never be hungry or never be thirsty, and I'm speaking spiritually, then we must come to Yeshua and we must believe upon Yeshua for who He is. He's the bread of Yahweh. The bad news is that we are hungry and we are thirsty and we have messed up. The good news is, is that we can come to Him and we can believe upon Him and we can repent of our sin and we can confess our sin and He will forgive us of our sin. That's good news. That gives me strength. And it should be good news to you. But if it's not, it's because you don't understand how bad of a sinner you are. If it's not good news to you, you don't understand it yet. David understood it. Solomon understood it. Daniel understood it. 
In Daniel 9, when Daniel's in Babylon, the temple's ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar, and the Israelites can't celebrate the feasts in Jerusalem. And he's praying out of a Babylonian home. And he lifts his eyes and he faces Jerusalem and he prays and he says, Yahweh, I do not present these petitions based upon my righteousness, but I present these petitions based upon your abundant compassion and your abundant mercy. Daniel understood it. David understood it in Psalm 143 when he said, If you kept track of iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. Brothers and sisters, Yahweh is more holy than any of us can ever even fathom. He's more set apart and righteous than we could ever even imagine in this life and in this body. And we're at variance with Him and there's only one way to get out of variance with Yahweh. And that is from the bread that He sends from heaven. The supernatural bread. The virginly conceived Yeshua that saves His people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, we cannot rely on our own strength because we are not strong enough. We cannot rely on our own wisdom because we are not wise enough. What did Jeremiah and later Saul quote in one of his epistles? He said, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his strength. But let him boast in this, that he knows me. That he knows Yahweh. We cannot rely on our own works because we're not good enough. But what we can rely on is the bread of Yahweh that He has supplied. And that bread is the man from Nazareth. But not just any man. Not another Matthew, not another Tim, not another Frankie or Rocket that fell in keeping the law. But a supernaturally conceived man the only begotten Son of Yahweh that never failed. That never failed. He is strong enough. We're not, but He is. We're not wise enough, but Yeshua is. He's wise enough. And we're not good enough, but He is. He's met the requirements of Yahweh's law. Yahweh required to keep the law. Yeshua met those requirements, never sinning not one time. He met all of them. And therefore, He's the unblemished Lamb and because He's the unblemished Lamb, He suffered the penalty of sin, being wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions of what? Transgressions of the law. Bruised for our iniquity. What does iniquity mean? Breakings of the law. But He was bruised for them. The chastisement for our peace fell on Him when He was being beat and whooped with that cat of nine tails. That was Matthew's back that was being beat by proxy through Yeshua of Nazareth. The chastisement, the discipline for our peace. Peace for what? Between me and Father Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. It fell on Yeshua. And by His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, but Yahweh hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. That's good news. That's good news. That's the bread of heaven. And then after He died, the grave could not contain Him. Why? Because of His perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness. He rose victorious over death on the third day, the 16th of Aviv. And when we come to Him, and we believe upon Him, we will not be hungry or thirsty 
Just like John 6, 35 says, I am the bread of life, Yeshua told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. This means that we will, by coming to Him, by believing upon Him, we will take upon ourselves His righteousness and He will take upon Himself our sin. He will be treated as I deserve to be treated and I will be treated as He deserves to be treated. And though we will die to this fleshly body, we will raise in His immortal likeness. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, just like Yahweh raised up Yeshua from the dead, even so will He also raise up those of us who have died in Christ at His coming. Yahweh gave us the bread from heaven. And may we eat that bread every day of our lives. That's the only way. That's the only thing that's going to fill it up. A TV show's not going to do it. Drugs are not going to do it. Alcohol's not going to do it. Food's not going to do it. Yeshua's going to do it. He's the bread of life. Rely on Him. When you're weak, say He is strong. When you don't know where to turn, say I'm trusting in your wisdom. When you can't lift your eyes, say I fall at the feet of, of the Master and the Savior. And I don't understand. But the good news is, is that although we have not measured up to Yahweh's standard, we can have faith in the one who measured up for us. That's good news. That's beautiful. Rest in that. That's salvation. That's justification. That's your righteousness. Rest in that. And what that will do for you is that will make you so, when you ever realize that, I didn't realize that. I haven't understood that. I've been in church all my life. And I've only recently understood that. Only recently you understand that free gift of grace and righteousness. Your heart overwhelms with joy. And then you want to serve Him for the rest of your life because He accepts you for who you are. Wretched, dirty, sinful. I'll close with this story. It's like a man. It's a metaphor. It's a parable. It's like a man who enters into a grocery store and he smells, and he reeks, and he's dirty. And everybody in the community knows the man. And nobody wants to wait on him. They don't even want him in there to buy their groceries. They look down upon him. If he comes to church, they make sure that he sits in the back. They don't like him. But yet he goes up to the register, and he's got his buggy full. And all those groceries are organic, non-GMO groceries, Brother Tim. They're... This high dollar, that buggy cost a lot of money. And he sets them on the conveyor belt. And they start going up to the cashier. And she knows the man. And she looks at him and she says, You can't get all of this. This is going to be two or $300. And all of a sudden, the most revered man in the community hollers from the back of the store. He says, Don't worry about it. He's with me. I'll take care of it. That's what the gospel's like. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so unworthy. 
But I am so thankful that you work on me. I'm so thankful that you you tune and you and you mold me and you shape me and and I see your hand in my life and I pray that you would help me, Father, to bring forth even more fruit because I want to please you. I just in light of all that you've done and you've forgiven me for, I want to please you. I want to be obedient to you, Father. Help me, Father, Yahweh, to do that every day more and more in obedience to your commandments. Father, Yahweh, thank you, Father, for the bread. Thank you, Father, for sending our forefathers that bread in the wilderness that they ate, that angel's food that they ate in Exodus 16. Thank you for teaching them. And thank you for the faithful ones, Father Yahweh, that were there in the wilderness. Father Yahweh, thank you also for sending us the bread of heaven, Yeshua the Messiah. You sent him, Father Yahweh, not by natural means, but supernatural. You caused him to come into existence by means of a virgin woman who never laid intimately with a man. That's out of the realm of possibility in the natural. But you made it happen. Thank you, Father Yahweh. Thank you, Father Yahweh. And Father, I pray that if, if there's someone in here that hadn't come to him and put their trust in him, I pray that they would, Father Yahweh. I pray that you'd prick their heart. And I pray that those of us that have come to him and that have trusted in him and have faith in him, I pray that when we go through the discipline and we go through the training and we go through the trials, that we would recognize that it is for a test. It is for a reason. Father Yahweh loves us. We're his children. He's training us for something great. Yahweh, Father, let us accept that training method, even though it is very painful. I love you, Yahweh, and I love your son, Yeshua, the Messiah. I pray you'd bring us back here tomorrow for new moon service, and we would give you glory and honor and praise, for it's through your son I pray.